0: Good morning. morning. Pastor Kyle, I want to welcome all of you here today. Thank you for coming, especially our guests who are with us. We've been praying for you and are just glad you're here today. We also welcome those of you watching online or listening to our podcast and just want to thank you for spending some time and carving that out of your busy lives to, to be with us as well. As Pastor Nancy said, we're wrapping up a sermon series called I Love My Church, and we've just been having a lot of fun doing that and talking about uh, who God's calling us to be. And uh, I'd like to also just invite you to come back next Sunday. It's going to be our grand opening Sunday here in the movie theater. We've kind of been under the radar for the past four or five weeks as we're trying to work through what it's like to do worship in a movie theater and deal with all the technical issues and stuff. And so next Sunday, we're really going to have a big celebration, all kinds of surprises in store. And uh, to make that a success, we want you to be here. And If you're here, it's going to be an awesome day, and and even more so if we can bring someone with us. And so I really think the way that we reach people far from God and, and help people to connect here is through a personal invitation to a friend or a family member or a colleague or a neighbor or just somebody that we know who might not be connected to God yet. Uh, This would be a great time to say, hey, why don't you come and check out what our church is doing? And uh, we've got some invitation cards business size to make that easy for you. And they're on the tables out in the lobby and just invite you to grab some on your way out. And what I'd really like to ask us all to start doing is, is really pretty simple, but very powerful is to pray. I want us to write down maybe two or three names just for ourselves of people that we know and care about. Again, family members, friends, neighbors, people we go to school with or work with that they're just far from God and pray for them every day to say, God, please help them come to know you and please let me be a part of that. And, and God, just open my eyes to how I might be able to do that. Maybe it's through a kind word one day or maybe it's through an invitation to come to church here or maybe it's just through living by example. But I think if we have names that we're praying for specifically every day that God's going to honor that and some awesome things are going to happen. And so I really look forward to seeing uh, all of you next Sunday and just encourage all of us to bring someone with us and it's going to be super. We're also here today to worship God and I'm glad that you're here to be a part of this and just would now invite you to join me in a moment of silent prayer uh, that I would deliver God's word today and that we would all hear it and allow God to transform our lives. Let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are a lot of people who are skeptical of Christianity, specifically Christians in general. And one thing that they say about us is really sometimes true, is that sometimes we're hypocritical, that we can be hypocrites. We can come to worship on Sunday, and we'd say all the right things and praise and worship God, but then as we leave the sanctuary, go out into our lives, then we start to do things that really aren't very godlike. We might let some curse words go or we might have some lustful thoughts for people that are not our spouses. We might blow up in anger at someone at work who doesn't deserve that or, you know, engage in some catty gossip or water cooler talk. And and so sometimes people look at us and say, why would I want to be a part of an organization or a church that says one thing? and does another. It's very hypocritical, and I, I wouldn't want to be a part of someone who doesn't really believe in what they say they believe in because they live their lives so much differently. So my question today is, is that a fair assessment of Christianity? Is it a fair assessment of Christians or followers of Jesus? And, and you know what? Is it, is, it a, 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 is it a fair judgment to say that we have to be perfect all the time? not to recognize that, yeah, we're trying to follow God, we're doing our best, and yet we're still human and we make mistakes and, you know, cut us some slack, but at least we're trying. And so is it a fair assessment to say that Christians are hypocrites, we don't want to have anything to do with them, or should people cut us a little bit more slack? So today we're going to look at the Bible and see what it teaches us about that. And and first off, I'm going to start off with a passage of Scripture that I find really challenging, even to the point of being troubling and and one of those passages of scripture that I kind of wish wasn't in the Bible. And to ask Jesus, what are you thinking, man? Why why do you say something like that? And so kind of to give you the context, Jesus has been teaching this this awesome sermon, this awesome teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's by the Sea of Galilee. It's this big lake in the northern part of uh, Galilee and Israel. And uh, it's got these beautiful hills around it. And he's teaching and all these thousands of people are listening to him. And what he's doing is he's taking some of the, the commands that are in our Old Testament, which were the Bible for the people in Jesus' day, the only Bible that they really had, there's 613 commands and he's talking about them and he's taking some of the, the very hard, most difficult ones, hard ones, and he's making them even harder. He says, you've heard it said that we shouldn't commit murder, right? And so Jesus says, yeah, don't commit murder. But he says, but I say to you, it's not okay to be angry at a brother or sister and hold a grudge against them, right? So, you know, come on, Jesus, what are you, what are you saying, right? You know, I was feeling pretty good about myself. I hadn't murdered anybody today. I'm feeling pretty good when I'm driving in today, but you know what? I'm probably angry at a few people in my life, probably carrying a few grudges in my life, and you're saying that's almost just as bad as doing murder, that, that it's what's in the heart that matters? Wow, I don't want to hear much more of this. Right? So we get to this passage of Scripture in, in Matthew chapter five. Again, it's one of those ones that I really wrestle with, and this is what Jesus says to us. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Are you kidding me? Jesus, are you crazy? You're the only perfect person that has ever been on this planet. How can you expect us, those of us who love and follow you, to be perfect? That's not really a fair expectation, is it? We're going to wrestle with that today. And we're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to wrestle with that today. And also, we're going to wrestle with some pop culture that actually speaks into this biblical truth. So I want you to watch this clip. No video. <laughs> Rats, man! We got this awesome video, so I'm just gonna have to act it out for you. All right, let's see. <laughs> so if you ever seen Seinfeld, you everybody seen Seinfeld? Y'all ever watch that show? All right, all right. so the, Jerry Seinfeld is a comedian, uh, he lives in New York City, and he's got these friends. Uh, Kramer is this tall, goofy guy. He's got this lady who's Elaine. She's a real pretty, uh, funny lady. And then this, this short guy, kind of balding, named George Costanza. Uh, and George is very neurotic. And so George and Jerry and Elaine are sitting in this cafe called Monk's Cafe in New York City, and they're getting ready to place an order. And George just begins by saying, you know, every decision I've made in my life has been wrong." Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. And so what I want to start doing is I'm going to start doing the opposite. Whatever I feel is right, I'm going to do the opposite and see what happens. All right, so the waitress comes and and he wants to order his usual, and, and she lists out this sandwich that he's going to order, and he's like, no, 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 I don't want tuna, I want salmon, and I don't want it on this wheat, on this bread, white bread, I want it on rye bread, and so I'm just, I'm going everything that I want to do, I'm going to do the opposite of, and see what happens. All right, and so Elaine and uh, and Jerry are like, that's not going to, that's just silly. What are you doing? And so then Elaine notices that this attractive woman who's sitting at a different place in the restaurant is looking over. And she's like, George, George, that woman over there is looking at you. And he's like, so what? What am I supposed to do? She's like, well, go and talk to him. He's like, Elaine, men who are balding with no money and live with their parents don't go over and talk to strange women, especially those of us who are unemployed and have no money. But she's like, this is your perfect chance to do the opposite. He's like, you know what? That's right. Normally I'd sit here and be miserable, but now I think I'm going to go over and I'm going to talk to her and do the opposite. And so he walks over to her and he, he gets his courage and he's, he's getting all bold and everything, trying to psych himself up. And he says, excuse me, miss. She's this beautiful woman. He's like, you know, I, I couldn't help but notice that you look my way. And She's like, oh yeah, what you ordered is what I order every day. He said, hi my name is George, I'm unemployed, and I live with my parents. (laughs) And she's like, wow. (laughs) And so, it's an awesome clip. Sorry you couldn't see that, and I'm, I'm no major Hollywood actor. But what's amazing was, he was right. Every instinct that he had was wrong, and so when he went the other way, things started opening up for George. And what, what we're going to find out today is that clip, maybe unintentionally, of this show, this Hollywood show, the secular show, really actually is related to scriptural truth. Okay? So we're going to go back to the Bible, we're going to look in the book of Romans in the New Testament, uh, and we're going to read some stuff that a, Paul, a guy named Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was writing. And, and he's, he's really struggling. And what he's talking about is the 613 commands in the Old Testament. Like, how do you keep those? How in the world are you expected to keep 613 commands? And he's talking about his life before Jesus. And he's like, before I knew Jesus, right, I was trying to be a good follower of God. I was trying to keep these commands, but I'm really just having a difficult time keeping the law of Moses. These were laws that God had given to Moses and everyone's supposed to follow them. So this is Paul's struggle, and he's remembering back to his life before Jesus. And this is what he writes uh, in Romans chapter 7. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I go and do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin, which is wrongdoing, is there to trip me up. I truly delight in doing God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and my mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So Paul's talking about this dichotomy that's inside of our souls and our spirits, right? This this struggle between two things that are happening. On the one hand, we're all created in the image of God, and that's a beautiful and a good thing, and it gives us the ability to do good in the world. Even before we know who God is, God's grace, His unmerited favor, lets us have the ability to do good in our lives because we're created in God's image. But then on the other side of that, we also have been given the freedom to make our own decisions. We're not robots. that God is programmed to be perfect. And so we have choices to make. And sometimes we make wrong choices. And just as we're created in the image of God, we also, all of us, have something down deep in us called sin, which means that there's something broken within us. And so we're in this constant struggle of do the right thing, do the wrong thing. And it's kind of who we are. We have the image of God in us, but we also have this, this, this bent, this, 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 this kind of slant to being broken and doing the wrong thing. And so it's this spiritual tug of war. Do you know what that feels like? I know what that feels like. And I think we know what that feels like. And before we know who God is, it seems like the brokenness wins more than the image of God does. Right? We still have decisions to make, and we want to make the right decisions. We try to make the right decisions, but at the end of the day, sometimes we just end up choosing to do the wrong thing more than we do the right thing. So that's Paul talking. He's like, that's, that's my struggling. Man, uh, I'm trying to deal with that. But then he says, how can I solve this? How can I get help? Evidently, I'm not able to solve it on my own, and that's where he tells us the good news. He says, we can't do it on our own. We can't save ourselves. We can't be perfect. We can't do everything right. And that's why God sent Jesus into the world. To die on a cross and to come back to life so that we could be restored in a right relationship with God. So Jesus takes our sin, our wrongdoing... And he takes the consequences of that, that we will one day die because we're living outside of God's will, and that we will spend eternity apart from God in a place called hell, which means separated from God. So Jesus takes our sin, our guilt, and our shame, our death, and our hell, and he takes it all, and he takes the consequences when he dies on the cross, and when he comes back to life, he gives us a new way forward so that we can be forgiven, so that we can live life to the full now while we live on the earth, and we can live forever in the kingdom of heaven. And he gives us power to do that, right? It's nothing that we do to earn that. We're not strong enough to do this on our own. It's a gift that Jesus gives us. And so what's instrumental is that we're ready to receive that gift. And that's where this next passage of scripture comes in. It's from Matthew's gospel. And and this is John the Baptist who is a preacher out in the wilderness of Israel who's going around before Jesus starts his public ministry and he's getting people ready for Jesus to come and he's, he's trying to get people to get ready for Jesus and all this good news that I shared with you and, and this is what happens in that. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness out in the desert, the wilderness of Judea, and saying, "'Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near.'" right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We're getting ready to receive Jesus. It's going to be awesome. Jesus is going to do all the heavy lifting. We can't save ourselves. God saves us, but we need to be open to that. And so Paul says that God's going to give us the ability to repent, which is the George Costanza moment of scripture, okay? Repent means to turn around, so we're living a life apart from God, right? We're doing more wrong than we're doing right. We're tired of that. God calls us, convicts us, gets to us through the power of the Holy Spirit some way, gives us a message that there's a different way, and God gives us the power then to turn around, to repent, to do the opposite, to say, I'm tired of living with my human nature. I want to receive my God nature. So we, God helps us to turn around and receive Jesus, Right? And that's when we we invite God to come in and and we confess the wrong things that we've done. We want to live a new lifestyle. We're tired of being dominated by human nature. We want to be dominated by God's nature. And so this is the moment where we're born again or where we're saved, right? Whatever language you want to use, it's where God comes in and takes over who we are. And it's a powerful thing. And and we see that again now in Romans chapter 8. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us right now no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. Man, I want to do the right thing. I just choose not to do the right thing. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air of the dark clouds, freeing us from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. So we can breathe easy. Jesus says, I forgive you. I've saved you on the cross, right? Come and receive me, and I will give you power to do the right thing, right? We're not saved by what we do, but if we're in a right relationship with God, then it's going to feel more natural that we want to be more like Jesus, that we want to become more holy in our life, so that everything that we say and think and do and feel begins to reflect the mind of Jesus, Right? So the question still remains, if we've surrendered to Jesus, we've repented, we've done the opposite, we've turned to God and received that gracious forgiveness, we've been born again, right? We're now new creations. Our old selves have died. We're we're new with God. Things are going well. It's all awesome. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're dominated by God. Then why? Why do we still do wrong things? Why do we still come and worship God? And by the time we get home, we've, we've cussed out somebody who cut us off in traffic or we've had that lustful thought or we've blown up at someone because we're upset and they have done nothing wrong or you know we've cheated on our taxes or, or whatever it is, right? Why do we keep doing stuff like that when we're supposed to be entirely brand new people, followers of Jesus, right? It's like we're giving skeptics of Christianity all this ammunition and fuel for their fires to say, we were right. You're just nothing but a bunch of hypocrites how do we understand that? Well, I want to use another example. Surprise, surprise, if you know me, it's a sports-related one. Uh, I want to talk about Cam Newton, who is the football uh, quarterback of our Carolina Panthers here in Charlotte, uh, National Football League, professional uh, athlete, uh, most valuable player for the whole league a couple of years ago, just a superstar athlete, and you know, he, he's in He's on an NFL team. He is a Carolina Panther. He'll forever be remembered as an NFL superstar. But before he was uh, a Panther, before he was drafted by the Panthers, before he signed on the dotted line and got all that money to become a Panther, he's just an, he was an average guy like you and me. Now, he was a better athlete than we are. He was a high-profile college player, but he was, like you and me, not in the NFL. But when he got drafted, when he signed on, now he becomes part of the team right? His identity is different. Now he is a part of the National Football League. He'll always be remembered as part of the National Football League moving forward. He's different, right? He's no longer outside of the league. He's in the league. He's on the team. He's made it. He is a different person as far as as his football identity goes, right? Something has changed for the better for Cam Newton. Now that doesn't mean that when he's playing in a game that he's going to do everything right. He throws a football to other re- people down the field called receivers, and his job is to get them the football. Sometimes he's going to make a mistake and throw the ball over their head. And sometimes he's going to make a mistake and throw the ball at their feet. Sometimes he's going to drop the ball, which called a fumble, and the other team's going to get it, and it's going to hurt our team, right? But when he makes those bad throws or those bad decisions, he's still on the team. His identity is still a Carolina Panther. He's still in the National Football League. He just has some work to do on the specifics. Same way with us in Christianity, right? When we've surrendered to God, when we've repented, when we've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're a different person. Our identity is different. The old self is gone. The new self is here, and no one can take that away from us. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect out of the gate. We're still going to have those thoughts. We're still going to make those mistakes in some of the things that we say and do. But at the end of the day, we are dominated by God rather than being dominated by sin and wrongdoing. We are gods. Instead of being sinners, we are now saints. And so we have specific sins to repent from, but not our identity. So there's two types of repentance. There's like a, a one-time choice, like a lifetime choice of saying, I'm done with living life outside of God. I want to be in God's family, right? That's that's like a lifetime decision. And then there are those individual opportunities to say, God, you know, I got this thought wrong today or I got this action wrong today, Lord. I need your forgiveness, right? But we have the assurance that we're still on God's team and that we're living life to the full and we're going to be living life forever in the kingdom of heaven. And so... We're not yet perfect, but we're a lot better off than where we were. And now God has given us the power to do the right thing because Jesus is in us. The Holy Spirit, that special part of God is in us, and we can do the right thing and make the right decision. Now, following God is kind of like getting married when a couple gets married at the altar and the pastor pronounces them husband and wife, right? They're legally married. They're spiritually married. They're married in the eyes of God. But that moment in time does not begin to encompass what marriage is all about, right? It's, it's days and weeks and months and years of learning to grow closer together and going through the ups and downs of life. And it's hard work and it's beautiful and it's ugly and it's messy. But the wedding is just the beginning of a lifelong relationship. The same thing happens with us when we surrender to Jesus and we're born again and we're saved. We, we've been become a new creation. It's just the beginning of a lifelong relationship where the Holy Spirit comes in and tries to make us more holy and to be more like God with the goal of being perfected. Remember that passage in Matthew, be perfect as God your Father is perfect in heaven. That means that we consciously don't do the wrong thing. John Wesley, the founder of our denomination, Methodism, believed that God would perfect people in this life and that he knew people who had become perfected and and they didn't sin anymore. Now, personally, I've never met anybody like that. I've met people who are close to that. Pastor Nancy's got to be on the top of my list for that. She's awesome, right? But it's important to know that God gives us power to do the right thing with our outward actions and with our inward actions, because if we want to go to heaven, heaven is a perfect place. And if we're not made perfect, then we can't get there. And so if we have any sin within us, we can't get into the kingdom of heaven. And so if we die and we're not yet perfected, and we believe that the Holy Spirit completes that process so that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? So we're not saved by what we do, but if we're in the right relationship with God, then it becomes easier for us, and we have a better desire to be more like Jesus and to live holy lives, But i got to stress to you that in in all of this, at no time does our ability to make choices disappear. We always have the ability to choose what we're going to do. Once we've given our life to God, we can choose to walk away from God. God never takes that choice away from us. Now, once we choose to follow God, I don't know how or why we want to walk away from God, but it's possible. But on the other end of that, before we know who God is... We can't blame all of our mistakes and our choosing wrong on someone outside of ourselves to say, oh, the devil made me do it or somebody made me do it or it wasn't, my, it wasn't my fault, right? So don't punish me if I've done something wrong, right? It's sin that's taken over me and I'm not responsible for my actions. We are responsible for our actions because we're created in the image of God. We have the ability to have good in us, right? And we have the ability to recognize that when we can't do it on our own, that we need to surrender to Jesus, right? So we can't pass the buck on that either. But what happens is Jesus gives us power over sin so we can choose to do the right thing. It doesn't dominate us anymore. It's kind of like Cam Newton, right? When he's thrown the football five million times. When he's in a tough situation and, and 11 guys are trying to, to kill him on the football field and he sees his receiver down the field and, and he makes a throw, he doesn't even think about it. His muscle memory takes over and he's going to make that throw nine times out of ten right? Because it's who he is. It's what he does. It's what's ingrained in him. And I think that's the same with us, that we have a spiritual muscle memory, right? When we're faced with a decision of I need to do the right thing or I need to do the wrong thing, right? The more that we're closer to God, the more we let the Holy Spirit lead us in our lives, right? Then we're going to have a spiritual muscle memory that takes over and we're going to make the right decision now, nine times out of 10 rather than two times out of 10 before we knew who Jesus was. Right? That's why we pray. And that's why we read the Bible. And that's why we worship. That's why we go to small groups. And that's why we serve God. The more things we do like that, the more our spiritual muscle memory is taken over so that when we face difficult situations in our lives, or even small situations in our lives, we're going to do the right thing, do the wrong thing, our muscle memory, our spiritual muscle memory takes over. The Holy Spirit takes over when we do the right thing. Because we have power from Jesus to do the right thing. Power from Jesus. And the stakes are high, brothers and sisters. The stakes are incredibly high when it comes to decision making in our lives. And if you ever seen the movie Animal House, it's a funny comedy about fraternity life at a small college. And I've got a I've got a picture here that you can see that this is kind of the epitome of what we're talking about. This is one of the fraternity brothers, and he's at a toga party. He's had too much to drink, and he's having to make a decision. He's got an angel on one side. He's got a devil on the one side, and they're both trying to tell him, you know, one saying, do the right thing. The devil's saying, do the wrong thing, right? We might not have had physical angels and devils on our shoulders, but we kind of know what's going on here, and that's funny. It's funny to look at that, but the situation is serious, because the, the woman, the young woman that he's interested in romantically in this movie, is in front of him and she's had too much to drink and she's passed out from alcohol. And the devil side of him is trying to say, Take advantage of her. And that's not funny. And that's serious. And that's a serious struggle between good and evil. What's he going to do, especially after he's had something to drink, right? If he does the wrong thing, he can't blame the alcohol. He can't blame somebody else. He's going to ruin lives and he's going to pay for it, right? So what we're talking about are life and death decisions, right? The decisions in our lives are so important right? Even when they seem small or trivial, they have eternal consequences, right? So our decisions can cause us to lose our, our marriage, can cause us to lose our family, calls us to lose our children, calls us to lose our job, our career, our money, can cause us to lose our friendships, our relationships, can cause us to lose our financial well-being, can cause us to lose our, our, our freedom behind prison bars, can cause us to lose our lives and our souls, So this is incredibly important. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm living under that black cloud. Man, I want to do the right thing. I try to do the right thing, but then I'm a bonehead and I choose the wrong thing. And I feel guilty even as I do it, and especially after I do it, when I know now God gives me the power over that. And thankfully, God loves us enough to forgive us if we do blow it and make that mistake. But God gives us that power. I remember when I was young and I went through a rebellious stage in my life, I remember literally saying to myself in my mind, I'm tired of playing by the rules and I don't want to be the good guy anymore. I didn't go off on some crazy wild binge or anything, but I stopped playing by the rules. I had some fun, but at the end of the day, I was more miserable and feeling guilty and horrible than I had when I started. I'm like, you know what, Jesus, man, this is not the path and I need you. So brothers and sisters, you know what that's like? We want to do the right thing, but it seems like we make the wrong choice again and again and again. The good news is that Jesus gives us the power over sin, death, and hell. Jesus gives us the power over sin, death, and hell to make the right decision, to live a good life, to have that spiritual muscle memory, right? Nine times out of ten doing the right thing. And when the one time we blow it, He still loves us and is ready to forgive us and help us deal with whatever consequences we bring upon ourselves. But Jesus gives us power over sin, death, and hell to live life to the full. So brothers and sisters, what I'm saying to you is choose Jesus and receive his power and live a good life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.